purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Dr. Dean Ornish. Dr. Ornish is Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. He's also the author of five best-selling books, including Dr. Dean Ornish's Program for Reversing Heart Disease and Eat More, Way Less. Dr. Ornish also writes a monthly column for Newsweek and Reader's Digest magazines and was recognized by Life magazine as one of the 50 most influential members of his generation. He is here today to talk about his new book, The Spectrum, a scientifically proven program to feel better, live longer, lose weight, and gain health. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Dean Ornish. Dr. Ornish, do we have you there? Yes, I'm here. Can uh, you hear me? Yes. Hello. So, hello. Um, yeah, welcome hi, to Health Watch. Yes. Okay. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. So, um, what was the purpose of writing this book? Um, after writing so many successful ones, what is what is this one about that um, that advances your message further? Well, you know, in 30 years of doing this work, we've learned, first of all, how dynamic these changes can be and what really works to motivate people to make and maintain sustainable changes in their diet and lifestyle. And, you know, in the short run, people can use willpower and deprivation and austerity and so on to to motivate themselves, but those things really don't last because what sustain you know, the whole concept of a diet is what you can't have. You know, eat this, don't eat that, do this, don't do that. And sooner or later, people get tired of feeling deprived, and they get off the diet, they gain the weight back, or whatever it was they were trying to accomplish, and then they usually blame themselves for not having enough discipline or willpower or motivation when the real problem is that they were just going about it in the wrong way. You know, even more than being healthy, people want to feel free and in control, and as soon as somebody's told, no, you can't have this, they immediately want it. That goes back to, uh, don't eat the apple, and you know, that was God talking. And so what is sustainable is joy and pleasure and freedom and abundance and feeling better very quickly. And part of what we're learning is how quickly you can feel better and how dynamic our bodies are, that within a few hours to a few days after changing what we eat and how we live, your brain gets more blood, you think more clearly, you have more energy. Uh, Studies are now showing you can actually grow so many new brain neurons, brain cells, from making these kinds of changes that your brain can get measurably bigger in in a relatively just in a few months. Your skin gets more blood so you don't age and wrinkle as quickly. Your heart gets more blood. We've shown you can actually reverse the progression of even severe heart disease with this kind of approach. Even your sexual organs get more blood flow in the same way that Viagra works. And so for many people, these changes are worth making, not simply to live longer and out of fear and deprivation and fear of dying, but out of joy of living because there's no point in giving up something that you enjoy unless you get something back that's even better. And what our studies and others are showing is how quickly you can experience these benefits and how powerful they can be. The, the cover of your book, The Spectrum, is, is, is very colorful and, um, and evokes a sense of abundance. Is, is this related to this idea of focusing more on, on bringing good things into our lives rather than depriving us? It is. It's all based on abundance and pleasure and joy. You know, not just what you exclude from your diet that's harmful, but also what you include that's beneficial. And we've even done studies, and others are now doing studies showing that you can even change how your genes are expressed. That's how dynamic these approaches are. You can, in effect, turn on the good parts of your genes, the health-promoting and disease-preventing parts, and uh, turn off the ones that are the, the ones that tend to promote inflammation and oxidative stress and other things that can contribute to, to disease. And so, you know, what's exciting about this is that 
uh, science is showing us that a lot of things that only a few years ago we thought were impossible are now actually quite possible. We're also learning that the drugs and surgery that are so our, our physicians and, and health establishment are so, are so fond of uh, don't work all that well in many cases. You know, angioplasties, the latest studies, randomized trials show that they don't really prolong life. They don't prevent heart attacks for most people. And uh, bypass surgery is the same way. The newer cholesterol-lowering drugs like Zetia actually may increase the blockages in your arteries, and the ones that raise HDL may actually increase the risk of heart attacks, whereas the lifestyle choices that we make each day are so powerful. And the concept of the spectrum is that all foods are included. There are no good foods or bad foods because it's a very small step to thinking that you're eating. I mean, the, the language of food and behavioral change in general has this moralistic quality. I eat bad foods. I'm a bad person. I might as well just finish the pint of ice cream or I cheated on my diet. And that's not sustainable either. Or what I call this fascist quality, you know, willpower and patient compliance are just kind of creepy words for most people. They don't really want to think about them because it's not fun. But what is sustainable is a sense of freedom. And the spectrum includes all foods, so nothing is excluded, nothing is forbidden. But some foods are, while they're not good or bad, some foods are clearly more helpful for you than others. And so what I've done in my book, The Spectrum, is I've categorized book foods from the most helpful to the least helpful. And again, it doesn't say never eat the least helpful foods, because studies actually show that the people who allow themselves some indulgences are the ones that overall eat the healthiest, because they don't feel deprived and they don't feel constrained. But what matters most is your overall way of eating and living. So if you indulge yourself one day, it doesn't mean you cheated on your diet or you have bad food or you're a bad person. It just means eat a, eat a little healthier the next day. If you don't exercise or meditate one day, do a little bit uh, more the next day. And by taking this approach, there's really a sense of, oh, yeah, I can do this because there's no failure. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no one telling me I have to do this. Now, what I've done in the book is to try to help people personalize a way of eating and living that's just right for them. So let's say you're eating mostly in the middle of the spectrum now and you want to get your, if you want to reverse heart disease, then you want to go pretty much to the healthiest end of the spectrum. That's the pound of cure. But if you're, say, just trying to lose a few pounds, or let's say you want to get your cholesterol down 50 points, you can start, say, okay, here's where I am. I'm going to overall eat a little on the healthier end of the spectrum. Get it checked again. If that's enough to bring it down to where you want it, great. If not, it doesn't mean that you failed. You know, now you have to go on drugs the rest of your life. That would be one option. But most people don't realize that they don't have to do that. If they're willing to go even further towards the healthy end of the spectrum, eat even healthier, do a little more exercise, a little more stress management, most people find that they actually can reduce their cholesterol levels enough that they don't need to be on these drugs. And we've published our findings. We found a 40% average reduction in the LDL or bad cholesterol in a free-living group of population free-living group of people. We published that in the journal of the AMA in, in uh, 1998. All of the studies that we published, that we've done, have been published in the leading peer-reviewed journals. And I think that really matters to people because there are a lot of books and people who make claims that, that sound good, but they really don't have the evidence to support it. And what's unique about this book is that everything in there has been proven to work, both in terms of what works to sustain these changes and how powerful these changes are once you make them. Well, uh, having uh, nutrition, people talking about what to eat and talking about nutrition is probably the most popular topic we have on Health Watch, but probably also the most exasper exasperating for listeners because of the conflicting info like you've been talking about. But um, I, I know you probably are tired of talking about Dr. Atkins, but I was curious what you thought of that of some of the studies that were showing uh, 
a higher fat and protein diet and a lower carb diet reducing cholesterol and whether you thought that was good research and, and where it fits into the, the paradigm for you? Well, those studies really, they, they showed that, I mean, Dr. Atkins was partially correct. People do eat too many bad carbs in this country. The bad carbs are things like sugar and white flour and white rice and so on. And when you eat too many of these so-called bad carbs, you get a double whammy. You get all these calories that don't fill you up because when you go from whole wheat flour to white flour or from brown rice to white rice, you're removing the fiber and the bran, and that's what fills you up before you get too many calories. And it also slows the absorption so you don't get these wide swings in blood sugar. And so anyone who starts to eat fewer bad carbs, they're going to show some benefits. But they'll show even, but that doesn't mean that you should then go to bacon and pork rinds and sausages. Those are not health foods. It means that you also want to reduce the, the overall bad fats as well. And then you get an even better benefits, which is what we've shown. We've shown clinically that we can get bigger changes in diet and lifestyle and also better clinical outcomes and even larger cost savings than anyone's ever shown before. And so in my book, I tried to say, you know, there's actually a convergence of what constitutes a healthy diet. As a veteran of the diet wars with Dr. Atkins and others, having debated him many times before he died, um, you know, there's actually a growing consensus that, and I, and I summarize this in my book, of what really constitutes a healthy way of eating and living. There's not complete agreement, but there's a, a lot more agreement than there ever has been and a lot less disagreement that a healthy diet is low in the bad carbs, but it's also high in the good carbs. Fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and soy products and so on are not only not, not bad for you, they're actually quite good for you. There's over 100,000 substances that are protective, that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, and even anti-aging properties when people eat this way. A healthy diet is low in the bad fats, the trans fats, the saturated fats, but high in, it has sufficient number of the good fats. The omega-3 fatty acids in particular, just a few grams, three grams a day of those can help reduce your risk of sudden cardiac death by 50 to 80 percent. They can uh, help reduce your risk of prostate cancer in men and breast cancer in women. They can, if a pregnant or, or nursing woman is taking them, they may increase their baby's IQ by up to 7 to 10 points. And so, but again, it doesn't mean that all fats are good for you or that eating too many of even the good fats can be a problem because fats are very dense in calories, even the so-called good fats. And so um, I think, you know, fat has nine calories per gram and protein and carbs have only four. So when you eat less fat, you're going to eat fewer calories, even if you eat the same amount of food. And so then you get full before you get too many calories. Uh, an optimal diet is, you know, uh, ideally is organic with locally grown foods. That isn't always possible, but to the degree that people can eat that way, they're going to find the food tastes better as well as being better for you. And so there is a real convergence here, so that can help to cut through this confusion, because otherwise people say, you know, these damn doctors, they can't make up their minds to heck with them, just bring out whatever I feel like eating and don't worry about it. And that would be un un unfortunate, because there's actually more evidence than ever of what a powerful difference these simple changes in our life can make. You know, we think it has to be a new drug or a laser or something really high-tech and expensive. And people often have a hard time believing that these simple choices can make such a powerful difference in their lives, but they really do. We're talking today with Dr. Dean Ornish, the author of The Spectrum, a scientifically proven program to feel better, live longer, lose weight, and gain health. So, Dr. Ornish, uh, you mentioned that um, some of the limitations of some of the um, conventional medical interventions, uh, and, and your studies have shown um, great results with preventing heart disease, but they've also shown some results in reversing heart disease. Could, could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, when we started doing these studies, people thought, you know, once you had heart disease, it could only get worse. 
Now, maybe at best you could slow down the rate at which it got worse, but it was going to get worse. And what we were able to show for the first time in a series of studies that, in fact, instead of getting worse and worse, people could get better and better and much more quickly. And what we found with heart disease, we also found with diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol levels and even prostate cancer. We did a randomized controlled trial of men with early prostate cancer, and we found that we could slow, stop, or even perhaps reverse the progression of prostate cancer, by extension, breast cancer. And so, you know, we've been using these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art measures to prove the power of these very simple and low-tech and and low-cost interventions. And they work, and that's the pound of cure, that you you have to go to the really healthy end of the spectrum if you're trying to reverse disease. But to prevent disease, you don't have to be so rigid. And that's the most common misconception about my work is that, yeah, it works, but it's too hard, and, you know, am I going to live longer? Is it just going to seem longer if I eat and live this way? And, you know, is it fun for me or is it good for me? You know, is it Atkins or is it Ornish? You know, those are false choices because what we're learning is that and we found in our heart disease study as well as in our prostate cancer and other studies, is that the more people changed, the better they got. And it wasn't how old or how sick they were. It was mainly a function of how much they changed. And that's a profoundly hopeful message because it says to the degree you're willing to make these changes, you're likely to get better. And that's really the premise of the spectrum is that to the degree you move towards the healthy end of the spectrum, you're going to look better, feel better, live longer, lose weight, and gain health. Well, you mentioned also um, the idea of hope, and, and I'm thinking about how uh, we have such a focus right now in medicine about genetics, and, and that gives a sense of, to people of a sense of fatalistic uh, outcome for, the, for their health destiny. And, and you have some interesting things to say about the interplay between some of these choices we make around diet and lifestyle and, and how it may actually affect our genetic expression. Well, it's true. So often people say, oh, I've just got bad genes. What can I do? You know, my mother and dad died of heart disease at an early age, so I'm just doomed. You know, I'm a time bomb. But it turns out it's not true in most cases. Your genes are not your fate. They're a predisposition, not a death sentence. And to the degree that you you move in a... Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're genetically predisposed to heart disease, for example, because your mother and father have got it, it doesn't mean you need to do it. It just means that you probably need to make bigger changes than someone else might in order to prevent it. Uh, there are a number of companies that are emerging that, like Navigenics and others, that uh, you take a swab of your cheek and you send it in and they send it back and say, well, your, your genes show that you're at increased risk of diabetes or heart disease or whatever it happens to be. But here again, that can be a motivator because we're learning in our studies, we're finding, for example, that you can actually change how genes are expressed, hundreds of genes in a relatively short, in just a few months, in effect, turning on the disease-preventing genes and turning off the disease-promoting genes. And again, these are the kinds of findings that can really be an antidote to that genetic nihilism that I call, that you can actually do something about it if you're willing to make big enough changes. How much you need to change and how quickly you need to do it is really a function of your own needs and your genes and your preferences. Well, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of some of the dietary recommendations in the spectrum. You mentioned good fats and bad fats. What would you recommend in terms of um, good fats to gravitate towards in our diets uh, and and then other fats that you would think that would be ones you'd want to minimize? Well, the, the good fats are ones that contain the omega-3 fatty acids, and you find those in certain fish, salmon in particular, very high in them. The problem is that the fish that are high in the good fats often tend to be high in things that aren't so good, the dioxin and PCBs and mercury and so on. 
And so I take fish oil capsules that have had all that bad stuff removed, and you only need about three grams a day. And most fish oil comes in one-gram capsules, so it effectively means three capsules a day. And that gives you all the benefits without the other stuff. Um, the other good, and you can also find that in canola oil. You also want to try to uh, have a lower a ratio of what's called the omega six to the omega three, closer to one to one. Whereas in our country, it's more like thirty to forty to one in many people. And when you have too many of the omega sixes, it creates inflammation, and inflammation is a precursor of many chronic diseases. And the omega sixes are found in things like olive oil, for example, is ten to one omega six to omega three. People think it's so healthy, but canola oil. And olive oil has virtually none of the omega-3s in there, which is why the ratio is so, so high, omega-6 to omega-3. Whereas uh, canola oil uh, is more of a one-to-one ratio, and it does have uh, more of the omega-3s. So I think overall you want to try to reduce your total fat simply because fat is so dense in calories. And of those fats, to emphasize things like canola oil rather than olive oil or corn oil or the kinds of other oils that are common in our culture. And what about seed and nut oils, say walnut oil and flaxseed oil in particular? Walnut oil and flaxseed oil are also high in omega-3s, but they're in a form that's less bioavailable. It's harder for your body to convert it. Uh, For vegans and vegetarians who don't want to eat fish, there are companies now that make omega-3s from plankton, uh, and, and the plankton base, because that's really where the fish, like the salmon, get it from, is from eating the plankton. And so you can go to the source. Until recently, those have been more expensive, and you have to take a lot more of it. But now companies are coming out that are making it less expensive and more bioavailable. And then in terms of good carbs versus bad carbs, uh, are there particular whole carbohydrates uh, that are better than others for health promotion? Well, in general, you know, you want to eat carbs that are uh, unrefined. Because when we, when we refine carbs, as we mentioned earlier, when you go from whole wheat flour to white flour, you're removing the fiber and the bran. And the fiber and the bran are what fill you up before you get too many calories. You can only eat so many apples, for example, or whole wheat toast. You're going to get full before you get too many calories because of the fiber. Uh, but you can consume virtually unlimited amounts of sugar without getting full. And the sugar also is absorbed quickly because besides filling you up, the fiber and the bran also slow the absorption of your food so you don't get these wide swings in blood sugar because when you spike your blood sugar uh, by eating a lot of sugar let's say which gets absorbed very quickly so your blood sugar then goes up and then your pancreas makes insulin to bring your blood sugar back down which is good but the insulin also accelerates the conversion of calories into fat which is not good and then it gets too low so you get this carbohydrate craving and it becomes a vicious cycle like a pendulum swinging from one side to the other back and forth The fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and soy products are the good carbs. And they're not only good because they're high in fiber, but they have at least 100,000 substances that are protective, that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, anti-aging properties, phytochemicals, bioflavonoids, carotenoids, retinols, isoflavones, genosine, lycopene, and so on. And these, where do you find these? You find them predominantly in these fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and soy products, what I call good carbs. And you're a big advocate, Dr. Ornish, of drinking tea. Could you, could you talk about um, what types of tea, why you think people should drink it, and, and how much? Well, I love coffee, and I love the way it tastes and smells. And the problem for me is I'm, I'm very caffeine sensitive, so I start to sound like uh, Robin Williams on speed if I'm, uh, <laughs> if I'm uh, drinking even a single cup of coffee. And, I, and I, my fuse gets very short. So I've learned to, and the people around me have advised me to avoid drinking coffee whenever possible. But tea also, in addition to being lower in caffeine, it has a number of polyphenols and, and other 
substances that are protective. For example, they help prevent cancer throughout your GI tract. They help to prevent oropharyngeal cancer and esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, uh, intestinal cancer, colon cancer, anorectal cancer, by fourfold in some studies. Um, and so besides the fact that they're lower in caffeine, teas are actually very health-inducing. Health they're very health-promoting. And green tea um, has, as you go from green tea to white tea to black tea, you're refining away more of the healthy stuff. And so there's still a lot of healthy stuff in black tea, but even more in green tea. So uh, green tea is really optimal for your health. But if, you're not, if you don't like the flavor of green tea, then go to white tea or black tea. It's still really, really good for you. And other than how to eat, your book, The Spectrum, also talks about um, stress management and exercise. And, and how do those play a role in, 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 in their interaction with your dietary program? Well, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, exercise, people think, well, if I don't run a marathon, I should just, you know, roll over in bed. But it turns out that just walking 20 or 30 minutes a day and not even all that fast can reduce your risk of premature disease by half. Uh, the more you exercise, the more fit you become. But in terms of being healthy, a little goes a long way. And so there's an exercise spectrum in the book as well. Stress plays a role in virtually every cell in our body. Uh, and we learn more and more about that. We learn how powerful those effects can be, both the direct effects on our health and also how they affect our behaviors. Because, you know, in doing these studies, I'd ask people, you know, why do you smoke or overeat or drink too much or work too hard or abuse yourself? These behaviors seem so maladaptive to me. And they'd say, Dean, you don't get it. You don't have a clue. These behaviors are very adaptive because they help us get through the day. And for many people, I mean, the real epidemic isn't just heart disease or obesity. It's depression and loneliness and isolation as our culture has become more balkanized and breaking down the social networks that used to give people a sense of connection and community. It's why things like Facebook are so popular because they, uh, they really provide that sense of community that to me is a fundamental human need. And study after study has shown that when people are lonely and depressed, they're many times more likely to get sick and die prematurely than those who have a sense of love and connection and community. Uh, patients say things like, you know, I, when I get depressed, I eat a lot of fat. It coats my nerves and numbs the pain. Or I use food to fill that hole, to fill that void. Or I've got 20 friends in this package of cigarettes, and they're always there for me, and nobody else is. You're going to take away my 20 friends? What are you going to give me? Or they use alcohol or other drugs to numb the pain. Or they spend too much time, you know, playing video games or watching TV. I mean, there are lots of ways we have in our culture of numbing and, and uh, killing and bypassing pain. But... In our approach, the pain is there for a reason. It's saying, hey, listen up, pay attention. You're not doing something that's in your best interest. Uh, and if information's important, but it's usually not sufficient to motivate most people to sustain lifestyle changes. I mean, if it, if it were, nobody would smoke. Every time every package of cigarette, everybody knows it's not good for you. So we have to work at a deeper level, and that's what we do in our program. And that's why we've shown in thousands of people that we've collected data on and published in leading peer-reviewed journals that... We've shown bigger changes in sustainable changes in diet and lifestyle, better clinical outcomes, and even larger cost savings than anyone's ever shown before. And it's because we're taking this comprehensive approach, not just focusing on their behaviors. And I would imagine that trying to build a social network could actually be part of a stress management program? It is. It all interacts. And my previous book, called Love and Survival, was based on just that, that you know, love is healing. And these are old ideas that we're just rediscovering and using the latest scientific methods to prove the power of these very ancient ideas. And 
One of the big disconnects in America, which I imagine is a challenge for you dealing with your patients, is also the fact that more and more people don't cook anymore. And I, I love the fact that you have a section both on recipes but also on cooking lessons and, and techniques on how to do simple things in the kitchen. Well, the book is with recipes by Art Smith, who's uh, cooked for some of the most well-known people in the country. And to show that the food can be, you know, so they might get it live longer, is it just going to seem longer if I eat healthily? You know, that's, not the, that's a false choice. You can eat foods that are delicious and nutritious and beautifully presented. And in my book, The Spectrum, I start with the, I asked Art to start with the healthiest version of the recipes and then show how you can modify them to add more fat or salt or sugar or other things based on where you are on the spectrum and what your own needs and preferences are. I've also been working because a lot of people don't eat at home with a lot of the big food companies like McDonald's and PepsiCo and Safeway. I, I chair their advisory boards uh, to to help them make healthier foods that are more convenient and to make it fun and sexy and hip and cool and crunchy and convenient to eat more healthfully. And uh, and it's working. At McDonald's, for example, I help them develop one salad. The, the premium salads that you see at McDonald's came directly out of my work with them. And I've been... Uh, like one salad I helped them develop called a fruit and walnut salad, which is just, you know, lettuce and walnuts and, and apple slices and, and grapes. Because of that one salad, McDonald's is now the biggest purchaser of apples in the world. I mean, who would have thought five years ago that would be the case? I worked with them and these other food companies to get the trans fats out of their foods. And what they're learning is that it, it started out because of concerns about litigation and legislation and so on, and also genuine concerns about the health of the country. But they're also finding that it's good business. At PepsiCo, uh, two-thirds of their revenue growth last year came from their healthier foods. PepsiCo owns not only Pepsi, of course, but Frito-Lay, Gatorade, Aquafina, Tropicana, and so on. And uh, when it becomes good business, then it's really sustainable, and they're realizing this is where things are going. This is where the parade is, is marching to. Well, Dr. Ornish, unfortunately, we're, we're almost out of time. Do you have some final thoughts for our listeners today on Health Watch? Well, just to, to, for people to understand that it's fun to live and eat this way. You know, there's no point in giving up something that you like unless you get something back that's even better. And what our studies and others are showing is how powerful these changes can be, how quickly they can, you can experience the benefits. And I'd say try it yourself, and then it comes out of your own experience, not because someone else told you. And then you, when you see how powerful it is, then it comes out of your own experience, then it becomes sustainable. It was great having you on Health Watch today, Dr. Ornish. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me. We were talking today with Dr. Dean Ornish, the author of The Spectrum, a scientifically proven program to feel better, live longer, lose weight, and gain health. <laughs>